I've had several conversations with, uh, with some folks over the course of the past uh, few weeks, particularly surrounding the resurrection. Uh, questions and conversations about Jesus rising from the dead. Is it literal? Is it figurative? Did it really happen? What's the, the nature of his resurrection? Is it something that I, that I necessarily need to believe in? Uh, maybe uh, you're here with some of the, those same questions, wondering, uh, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Or is it just a, a story that's told and I can be inspired by the life of, of Jesus that I read, regardless of whether it's true or not? And as that changes my life and brings me new life, is that not kind of a resurrection? Or... Maybe you've thought in the past, as I read about Jesus, uh, he, it says that he rose from the dead, but it doesn't really matter if that's true or not, does it? I mean, as, as long as what I read about Jesus inspires me and draws me closer to God in some way, uh, is that, not, uh, is that not, a, not enough? Isn't that what the life uh, of Jesus was about? And so uh, the details of whether the resurrection happened or not doesn't really matter. Or, or maybe you, you've thought, and because you, you don't really believe in the reality of miracles or the supernatural, of course, there's no way possible that the resurrection ever could have occurred. Maybe you're, uh, you're a follower of Christ already, one you would, you would call yourself a committed uh, believer, and you would say, I, I do believe that the resurrection really happened, but what's hard for me is knowing, what does that mean for me now? What does it look like for me to live out my life in light of the realities and the truth that Jesus rose from the dead? These, these questions aren't new. These struggles aren't new. In fact, we're going to see in our passage that we look at this morning that from the moment Jesus rose from the dead, his people struggled with these questions. And that's all we want to look at this morning. So if you would, turn with me uh, to the book of Luke. Uh, if you're Looking in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 885. Uh, Luke has written us here an account of Jesus' life and teachings. Uh, what we're, where we're hopping in is uh, just after uh, Jesus has uh, died and Luke has reported to us that he's risen from the dead. And this is an encounter that happens between Jesus and his disciples, his followers. Uh, so we're going to pick up in verse uh, 36 of chapter 24 of the book of Luke, and we're going to go down to the end of the chapter. So if you would, please follow along with me in your copy of, of God's Word. As they, and that's talking about Jesus' disciples, we're talking about these things, hearing that Jesus had, had risen from the dead. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? 
See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. Jesus, you and your word proclaim to us uh, that your word is sufficient. Uh, We pray and ask now, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would make it clear uh, that you would apply the words of Christ to our hearts, give us understanding that we might see Jesus as he truly is. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Some of you may have heard some people talking in our congregation about some girls who won the state championship in rowing. That's a pretty incredible tale. Out of the whole state, some girls from our church got first place. Now, how do you know if that really happened? How do you know if it's true? Well, the context of the conversation would would help to know. Did the person you were hearing it from, did they start it like this? Hey guys, gather around. I want to tell you a story. Once upon a time, that's going to clue you in. They're not intending to tell me history and truth and reality. What do you know about the person? Are they trustworthy? Have they been known to tell you the truth? The kind of details that they give you, are they given names? Like, when did this happen? Is it something that you could go and verify and find out if it's occurred? Because uh, all of those things are important if we want certainty concerning the things that they're telling and reporting to us. By the way, that actually did happen. Uh, Maybe you can mill around during coffee and muffins and find out who those those girls were. Uh, Here, as we encounter uh, Luke's account of Jesus' life and teaching, the first thing that we need to understand and know that what Luke is telling us and what he's communicating to us about the resurrection is that it is historical. It really did happen. How do we know? 
look back. Look back at the beginning of Luke's, uh, Luke's book. It's on page 855 in your Bible there. Listen to what he says about how and why he is writing this account. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke is writing an historical account. He has investigated and looked into the things that have been heard and the things that people are saying, and he is writing this so that Theophilus, the person that he's writing to, can have certainty about this account of who Jesus is. It isn't myth. Uh, uh, it's uh, Notice as well, uh, Luke has already told us other people have, have begun to, to, to write down things. Some people have said, oh, well, how can I, I believe the New Testament? There's four different accounts of Jesus' life. Well, notice Luke, what Luke has given us is a historical account that is complementary to the other accounts that have been given. He also wanted to seek out, to interview and pursue eyewitnesses. Uh, and, and notice, uh, if, if you were to read through Luke's account, you would see that Luke goes out of his way to give us details and information to, uh, to, to locate the person and work of Jesus in space and time and history. He gives us locations and names of people and rulers and of eyewitnesses that he talked to and interacted with. This is significant because as Theophilus or others early on would read Luke's account, they would have been able to verify or falsify, prove wrong what he said. Because you see, when Luke is writing this, it's within about 30 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Some people might be over 30 years. What could go on in people's minds in 30 years? What's interesting, uh, just a couple of years ago, I was watching uh, a Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam. And throughout the whole account, he's interviewing eyewitnesses. People who were there, who served, who battled. Now, some people may have, uh, have questions about what was reported in there, but I never heard anybody say this. It's been too long since Vietnam. How can we trust what those guys are remembering? Do you know that when Luke is writing this, it's been sooner an occurrence in the hearts and lives and minds of people than Vietnam occurred in our generations? And something like that war would impact and transform people's thinking and their actions, how much more so would the historical reality, if God took on flesh entered into our world, suffered, died, rose from the dead, is that not going to completely burn its truths and its realities and its impact in your hearts and your mind? Luke is telling us what he is seeking out to communicate to us is history. This is no fable. 
This isn't legend. It's not something he's just making up. This is significant for us to know and understand. What is this history that Luke is recounting? What is the historical truth of these eyewitnesses that Luke is seeking to re- uh, recount to us, say, about the resurrection? Notice, back over in chapter 24, not only is the resurrection historical, but it's physical. Now, uh, some people may, as we've already talked about, dismiss the resurrection uh, outright from the beginning. Because your, uh, your mind and your thoughts from, the, from the, the get-go are there is no such thing as a supernatural. Everything in the world uh, has a natural or materialistic uh, explanation. Uh, others may think, oh, well, so there's no way it happened physically. Others may think, well, maybe they actually did uh, think they saw Jesus, uh, but it was a hallucination. He wasn't really there. Maybe they just thought they saw him, or there was like this doppelganger Jesus walking around, and they saw somebody who looked a lot like him, and then they began to think that he was resurrected. Or maybe going back to the naturalistic explanation of things, maybe you would say, well, maybe Jesus didn't really die. And and so he didn't really rise from the dead because... uh, uh, he never died to begin with. He just he kind of passed out, and the coolness of the tomb woke him up. And then when everybody's seeing him, they didn't see a guy who resurrected from the dead, just somebody who got resuscitated. Well, let's look and see what Luke says. What does history in Luke's account tell us? It, it tells us that all of those things are, are wrong. The resurrection of Jesus was real and physical. A man died... Jesus of Nazareth, and he came back to life. Look. uh, Look in verse 36. Luke wants us to know, Jesus himself stood among them. And he said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and thought they saw a spirit. At first, they were having a hard time believing it too. Luke tells us what they thought initially. They were so surprised, so shocked. This can't be a dead man back to life. It must be a spirit. Notice what Jesus says. In verse 38, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Jesus is seeking to confirm that he is physically alive. Touch me. I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. You may be thinking that, but Jesus and Luke's telling of us in this historical account is going out of its way to dispel that kind of confusion. He is alive. A dead man is alive and in their midst. They can see him. They can touch him. Because if he were a spirit, he wouldn't be able to eat. So I know we have several Harry Potter fans in our, uh, our church. And uh, Nearly Headless Nick has a party in there. And what happens if he were to try to eat food? It just goes right through and falls on the floor. We all know ghosts can't eat food. What does Jesus show us, though? 
And then when he said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they're, they're thinking, this is, this is too good to believe. And we're marveling at him. He said, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Again, notice that eyewitness detail and account Luke gives. And he took it and he ate it before them. Here, we're seeing the, the emphasis, the implications of this. It is a physical resurrection. It's, it's not a, a fake resurrection. It's not pretend. It, 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 it actually happened. The body, the physical body of Jesus, the same body that went in, that was on the cross, that went into the tomb, came out, and he is alive and in their midst. Luke has talked to these eyewitnesses. They are the ones who said, Yes, we saw him. <laughs> Again, sometimes people dismiss folks from the time of the Bible thinking that they were, uh, that they were uh, gullible or easy to be, be fooled or more simple minded. But notice here, it is just as hard for them to believe in the resurrection as many people today. But Jesus is seeking to communicate and show it wasn't figurative. It wasn't mythical. It was historical. And it was physical. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Remember, but sometimes we may say, well, does it really matter? So Luke's writing that it was historical. So Luke is writing and telling us that he physically rose from the dead. But in the end, it's not really necessary, is it? As long as I, when I read about Jesus' life, if it inspires me and draws me closer to God, that's all that matters. No. That's not what Jesus says. Notice, it's not just that the resurrection is historical, the resurrection is physical, but the resurrection is also necessary. Look in verse 44. Then he spoke to them. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he goes on down in verse 36. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Jesus is saying here, it definitely matters whether the resurrection occurred. Jesus is, is saying, in fact, you can't just dismiss the accounts of the resurrection and say, well, I'll just dismiss that and accept everything else and that will encourage me. No, Jesus is saying, if you're going to believe the Bible, you have to take all of it. Because if you discount the resurrection and reject it, Jesus is saying you are rejecting the entire Scriptures. Because the Old Testament, all of it, pointed to Him. His life, His suffering, His real death was necessary. That's telling us something about the state of our problem. Our situation and our circumstances were so bad and so difficult no simple acts of, of, of penance or good works or labor or gifts or offering to God would deal with it. 
what was necessary to satisfy the justice of God and to demonstrate and show the righteousness and the grace of God was that God himself would actually take on physical flesh, live a perfect life, and die on behalf of sinners. But then Jesus tells us that it was necessary. Necessary that he rise from the dead. Jesus says all of the scriptures point that way. In fact, one of uh, Jesus' later followers, another one of his authorized spokespersons, who by the fact was a persecutor of Christians, who proclaimed the reality of the risen Christ, who was murdering and killing them, Jesus appeared to him and redeemed and saved him. And he became one of the foremost uh, proclaimers of the goodness of Christ. This is a guy named Paul. He says, if the resurrection didn't occur... We're a bunch of fools. Our faith is futile and in vain. It's necessary. You see, you can't dismiss the resurrection and still call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus because at that point you're going against the words of Christ and the truths and the realities of the resurrection. Jesus said it is absolutely necessary that the resurrection happened. Luke is telling us and confirming it. Historical, physical, necessary. But also what we see here is evidence of the resurrection and experience of the resurrection are insufficient. Maybe you're here now and you're thinking, well, maybe, but I need more, I need more proof. I need to see more evidence that this really occurred. I mean, do you have any archaeological findings? Do you have any, any proof other than Luke's account or Matthew's account or Mark's account or John's account or, or Paul's account? Do you have anything else? Now, the, the Scriptures are rooted in space and time and history. The Christian faith is a historical faith. We care about history. We care about archaeological findings. Jesus entered into our world, and the, the, the discoveries of the world and archaeology point to the realities of the Scriptures. In fact, uh, Jesus tells us that when, or the Scriptures tell us when we look at the creation around us, even that, interpreted rightly, proclaims to us the truths and the realities and the existence of our God. But notice that Jesus tells us here that more evidence and more experience is not ultimately what you need. Look back over in verse 10 in chapter 24. The first people to encounter the risen Jesus at his empty tomb were some, uh, some ladies. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women... Uh, they, they saw Jesus, and it tells us they were with them uh, who told these things to the apostles. So they saw and experienced the resurrection of Christ. They run back and they tell the apostles. But notice what happens. What do the apostles have? Eyewitness account. Testimony and truth. From trustworthy people that they knew, Jesus is risen from the dead. Look at verse 11. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. These are Jesus' followers. 
The ones that Jesus told, I'm going to suffer, die on the third day, rose again. They didn't believe it when, they, when it happened. They thought it was an idle tale. This eyewitness account wasn't enough for them. In fact, experience wasn't enough. Look at what, continue what happens. Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. But yet he still didn't believe. Eyewitness accounts, experience, evidence were insufficient. Notice, Luke continues to tell us the same thing. Jesus himself appeared in front of them. And what does it tell us? That experience, that evidence, was it enough to convince them? What's it tell us there in verse 37? They were startled. They were frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See, even here, Jesus is, understands and knows what's in the hearts of men. And he recognizes and sees that they're struggling to believe in light of all of this evidence, in light of even this experience. But this shouldn't be a surprise. Earlier, as Jesus was talking about uh, how humans would respond to the truth when they encountered it, listen to what he says as he's telling a, a parable back over in Luke chapter 16. He's talking about those who uh, would reject uh, the good the good news about him. Um, here he's telling us about uh, a man who is uh, talking to uh, someone named Abraham in heaven. Uh, they are wanting Abraham to send somebody back uh, to tell uh, their, their relatives who aren't believing and trusting and hoping in God to repent and trust in him. He says if somebody were to go back from the dead and tell them, then they would believe. Listen to what, how Jesus ends that story. In verse 29, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Even Jesus in his own telling is saying, evidence experience of the resurrection is not sufficient to bring about faith. You see, what this shows us is that ultimately what we need, although we do need to be convinced of the historical reliability of the Scriptures, ultimately what we need is not just more evidence, not just more experience. Jesus says that what you already have is sufficient to reveal the truths and the realities of who I am and what I've done. And what does Jesus say is sufficient? The Scriptures. The Word of God. Notice what He says here. Everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Even if someone were to come back from the dead, they're not going to believe if they're not going to believe the testimony of Scripture. Jesus says His Word is sufficient. So what does that mean? It means if you here or here this morning, whether you are uh, uh, one who would call yourself a committed follower of Jesus or you are still considering and thinking about following Jesus and you're wondering about uh, evidence, the reliability of Jesus' resurrection, whether it really happened, who He is, where Jesus is saying and where you should focus and spend your time is in the Scriptures. Go to the Word of God. 
read and hear his testimony. And also, pray and ask the risen, exalted, ruling Jesus to give you understanding. Do you notice that's what happened here? It didn't, not until Jesus acts and works and moves, the risen Jesus in the hearts and lives, even of his people, do they understand and believe. Look there in verse 48, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you realize what that means? If you're a believer in Jesus here this morning, it's not because you're smarter than anybody else. It's not just because you put stuff together and you figured it out. It is because Jesus brought understanding to your hearts to know and understand who he is. That means that for all of us, if we're, our situation is, is so bad and dire that our only hope is in Christ. Our only hope is in Him. What what the Scriptures call you to is not more evidence. What the Scriptures call you to is to Jesus, to the risen Christ. Call out to Him this morning. Ask Him to give you insight and understanding into who He is and what He has done. What that means, though, is... The resurrection, not only is it historical, physical, necessary, is evidence and experience not enough of the resurrection, but also the resurrection demands a response. We've already talked about one. If we're struggling and longing for more understanding, then we need to call out to the one who can open up hearts and minds. Those of us who've been blinded by uh, the, the ruler of this world, by our own sin, calling out to the risen and exalted Jesus to open up our hearts and our understanding. But notice uh, as well, there's other responses here. First, for those who would call themselves followers of Christ. Look in verse 52, what the response is. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The first response to the, the people of God who, have, who are trusting and hoping in Jesus, the realities and truths of the resurrection produce worship in them and great joy. If you're wondering, what does it look like? How do I rightly live my life now in light of the resurrection of Christ? It means that we as the people of God should be a worshiping, joyful people because Jesus has suffered, died, and risen really and truly for you and for me. Forgiveness is ours. New life is ours. A relationship with our Heavenly Father is ours. But also, a privilege and a task is ours. Notice what Jesus says back before. It wasn't just that what, uh, what was written would tell us that, that Jesus would suffer, die, and rise on the third day, but also he tells us in verse 47 that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. The proper response for the people of God is to proclaim the good news the best news ever in the history of the world that Jesus of Nazareth suffered, died, and he is alive today. Well, 
What about us, our, our, our hearts, our response? Does that worship, does that joy fuel us as the people of God to proclaim this good news about Jesus to the nations? Notice that's immediately the disciples' response in verse 53. They were continually in the temple blessing God. For those of you who've been worshiping with us for a while, several years ago we went through the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke. That's where Luke picks up and tells us more about what Jesus did after his resurrection through the work of the, uh, of the apostles. But what they're doing here is they're not going and continuing on with their temple worship and sacrifices. Those don't matter. They're irrelevant anymore for the life of the believer because Jesus has fulfilled them. He said, uh, I will destroy the temple and raise it up in three days. Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the way to be made right with God. So what are they doing in the temple? They're blessing God by proclaiming the good news of the risen Christ to the unbelieving Jews who are coming to the temple and seeking it to be their their role and their calling that others would come to faith in Jesus. That is our calling as the people of God. But also notice, you are still considering whether to follow Christ or not, the resurrection also demands a response. And notice what Jesus says that response should be. In verse 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. The proper response to the realities and the truths of the resurrection is repentance. To acknowledge that if Jesus is the Creator and Maker of all things, if He's risen from the dead, if my life is not being lived in conformity to His will, to His calling, if I'm not following and orienting all of my life and my heart to Him, then I am committing treason against my King. The only response to the resurrected Christ is one of repentance. To turn from our sin and look and hope and embrace in Him by faith. And notice what the promise is. The resurrected Christ offers forgiveness. Forgiveness in His name. Are you following Christ already? Hear the good news of the resurrection. Respond to the historical, physical, necessary life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Respond with worship. Respond with joy. Respond with proclamation. If you've yet to come to know Christ, call out to Him to open up your heart, to open up your mind, that you would see truly who He is in the Scriptures and turn and embrace and hope in Him. Jesus extends that offer to you. Would you respond to Him today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You uh, that You do rule and reign, that You really did rise from the dead. We pray that You would confirm to us more and more the truths of Your work, of Your person. Give our hearts understanding that we might see and hope and rest in You and believe. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.